You are listening to Raices Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of people of color, indigenous people, and other marginalized voices in connection to the environment. My name is Samara Almonte, and before we start, I just want to acknowledge the land that we are recording on. We are on Coast Salish land, and we did not ask for permission to be here today or to be recording. And in every work that we do, it has to relate to indigenous sovereignty. So I'm really excited for today's episode on rejecting the environmentalist label. And with me, I have my friend Nina Tran, and they describe themselves as a queer first-generation college student of color studying cellular and molecular biology at Western Washington University. Hi, Nina. Hello. Okay, how are you doing today? Um, good. Yeah, I feel so formal having that now with the introduction <laughs> you brought in, but yeah, I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, enjoying your tourist season. She's a tourist, by the way. Yeah, I am a tourist. Oh, yeah, I meant to write that in my bio. Yeah. Daro's thing, but yeah. uh, I am enjoying tourist season. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is really ushering in this sense of indulgence that I really deserve and need right now, so I'm really hyped about it. Good. Okay. Um, so yeah, just to kind of get started, know more about you. What do you consider are your green roots? You know, mm. like the theme of the podcast. Like, what are your connections to the environment? Yeah, I like I like that. The green roots. Um, mm-hmm. I think for me, I definitely grew up in a household where we were, where my family was trying was like trying to conserve things always you know this idea of like sustainability and conservation that we learn about formally through school through learning environmentalism and stuff but I would see that just right like out the foundation a lot of the ways that my family lived their lives was like based around sustainability and concert and I don't even mean sustainability in the sense of like you know driving a Prius or something like that (laughs) I mean sustainability and like how do we sustain ourselves for as long as we possibly can Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the ways that I see and recognize the interactions I had in my childhood with my parents is like them really trying to sustain themselves with like very little energy considering how much they were working you know um and a lot of that I think they practice their food. You know, I don't, my family wasn't like a traditional, like eat at the table kind of family or anything like that, but definitely like making sure there was food always at the table and always making sure that we were all eating. Like, like food was a huge part of how I think my family expressed affection and care to each other was always reminding us to eat and being like it's gonna go cold that kind of stuff always is like my dad to a t um which which i think is really interesting too um because again we think of like sustainability now as driving prius or really caring about where the planet's going to be in be like in like 20 to 30 years 10 years even now with the conversation shifting but i think for my parents like it was and how i learned it growing up it was more of just like how do we get to the next how do we make it through this year you know how do we make you know like this just how do we sustain ourselves in this present moment like very survival oriented Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like not so much like sustainable sustainability for a long term but like survival sustainable Mm -hmm. (laughs) sustainable survival yeah yeah sustainable survival exactly and uh you know I also grew up in a household too where it was very much respecting your elders so it wasn't necessarily like do not because I feel like there is this sort of you know, it's a part of the nuclear family package of very cap- structured in capitalism, neoliberalism of like um, thinking about in the moment, like living in the moment and not being very 
uh, thinking about the future maybe is, mm-hmm. is how I think about it but I think that I think my parents for the most like we were also brought up to like really respect my grandparents who lived with I also grew up with my grandparents for the first eight years of my life so like really just respecting like the generational stuff so like I feel like just like my understanding of like sustainability really was shaped by how my parents what did I say? like how I think that the the way that my family and my childhood was structured around time, which is so differently than how I know it now as someone who's like knees deep in and being in the system and that kind of stuff. Um, so that that's probably one way. And then the, with the conservation thing, like I don't know if it's a universally POC thing, but like my so like my grandparents and my parents would just always reuse containers and like uh, wrap everything in plastic. You know, like making sure that like. Uh, you know, the remote stays clean forever and ever and ever. Or like, um, my mom loves to tell me the story about my grandpa. So my grandparents are in their 80s now, and this happened a couple of years ago. My grandpa was cooking, and he like cooked some chicken or something like that, and then he was like serving it to my grandma. But he also like is old, <laughs> and my grandma who like had some sense of t- taste was just like, this tastes so weird. Like, what did you put in this? What, like, what did you put in this? And he was just like, oh, you're, because my grandma also um, has, uh, she's like losing it, you know, she's, um, I think she has dementia or Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. one, of, one of those things. Anyway, so she was just like, oh, you like you just sang. So then she really just like wouldn't refuse to eat it because she said it tasted really weird, right? <laughs> and so then my grandpa like goes back and like looks at the container of oil that he had used. And it was just, and it was of course in like a, like I don't know, like a container that was used for like straws or something like super random, and it ended up just being gasoline oil that was in it. Yeah, because he had just reused the container, you know, and he just like didn't realize that he had stuck it in the kitchen, um, and it was like near the stove. Night, so he thought he thought it was just like cooking oil of oh, some wow. sort. Yeah, I have no idea. He also has apparently like a really bad sense of smell, so mm. that's why he also didn't wow. smell. <laughs> yeah, but I just like love that story and thinking about like I just have so many memories of. When I was living at my grandparents' house, of like opening different containers and expecting it to be candy or chocolates mm-hmm. or something like that, and it was just like yeah, something very <laughs> random, you know, like a storage of some sort. Of yeah, other yeah, things. like a bunch of photos of like not even my like someone I just didn't even recognize or something. There's like so much of that stuff of like, and I think that 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 conservation aspect is also very much tied with the survivability thing of like wanting to hold on to everything that you know you have and mm-hmm. to really reuse things right like like my grandma like when we'd go out for dinner like always grabbing the pl- plastic cutlery or something like that and like the napkins and putting it in her purse to bring mm-hmm. back home you know yeah and I feel like sometimes now I feel guilty if I'm not doing that as yeah, well like like we have it's a recycle yeah like we yeah. have a recycling box me and Cindy um mm-hmm. at our house and we definitely use it but I feel like my mom has it way more organized. She separates mm. it a lot more. She takes time, which is really wild that, like, our parents work so much, yet they still make time for those yeah, things. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like I obviously don't work near half as much as my mom. Like, I do other type of work. Like, our parents, you know, did more physical work, I guess you could say. And right now we're doing more, like, intellectual work because we're in school. Uh, well, I guess mm. I don't want to assume that your parents didn't go to higher ed. But, like, yeah, yeah like, my, my parents didn't, you know. So they, they're... Like, the majority of their working life has been a very physical working life. Mm-hmm. And so, yet they still find, found time to, like, recycle really, like, properly and, like, do all this cleaning of, like, 
containers to use them again yeah. and I'm just like all I have is schoolwork and I still can't like yeah. you know in like a job also but still like I feel like my work is so different than theirs and I would think I would find more time to mm-hmm. like clean out containers and make sure that that's organized and I don't right I just don't yeah you know. sometimes I like fall into that trap though being like I'm gonna keep this tiny like I love tiny containers this mm-hmm. is something like me and Lee <laughs> my partner also like shares we love tiny containers so we're just like but it's like what, what, what like what do we what do we actually put in these tiny containers like <laughs> They can't really hold a lot, but yeah. it's just so satisfying to me to be like, ooh, little different yeah. containers. But. Especially if they're glass containers, I like oh, yeah. using. Like from the weed store, they always. The, the <laughs> oh yeah, Those yeah. Are cute. <laughs> I, was, I always put coconut oil in mine, so then yeah. I can take coconut oil to go. I was gonna say yeah, like when you travel, those are really good. Mm-hmm. When you just can't take the full bottle of whatever product you need. Exactly. Yeah, I think those are. I'm sure a lot of POC that like listen to this or have thought about this before, like that is. A deep connection like a lot of us oh, have had to do such a sus- thing have had to do sustainability from day one mm. like there's no question about it we just had to because there was nothing else right and, and even with clothing too like i remember oh thrift God, shopping so was a lot yeah like my thrift shopping was a big deal goodwill. yeah <laughs> i've exactly. like given him uh like goodwill like gift certificates on, on father's day and he's <laughs> like super into it it's because like, you know if you try to get him any other gift he'll be like no why'd you spend money or something? yes <laughs> but like surprise goodwill he's totally down yeah so i just feel like even that was just really n- normal for us and then when mm-hmm. like they try to put it they try to like frame it as a very like radical move here in college. It's just, like people, oh, yeah. people Being have been like, doing oh, it. Like oh, what is it like repurposed vintage clothing or something? <laughs> you know, it's like oh, like we're cutting down um, sweatshop labor and all this other labor because we're thrifting our clothes and reselling it for an absurd price. That's so sustainable. And, yeah. And so that's why you know that's like I mean that's something we'll d- dive into later. But like that idea that sustainability has to be expensive too. Yes. It's some bullshit. Exactly. So yeah, I think this is a good um, place to shift to kind of like the main theme. So I've seen some like organizations and some POC use the term environmentalists and indigenous folks as well, like call themselves environmentalists. But I feel like, and we kind of talked about this before we recorded that same with like the word feminist, it can lose its like meaning sometimes. Well, let me just say, like, in responding to your apprehension to, like, you're lucky in that you're, or maybe not lucky, but, like, you get to be uh, an urban planner, right? Which in itself, like, conveys that you are, like, for the environment, maybe, or, like, for thinking about space and resources. Well, especially this program, because attached to urban planning, it's, like, urban planning and sustainable design Mm -hmm. or development. So it's, like, literally has it in the title or whatever. Yeah, so you don't necessarily have to be, like, yeah, I'm an an environmentalist urban planner. (laughs) I'm sure there are urban planners, though, who are probably not environmentalists. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so going back to the question, the main question it was, um, when, when, when did I encounter? The, yeah, like when did you first encounter the term? And- yeah. Okay, I I definitely have memories of growing up and thinking about Earth Day, <laughs> and, and like for me, those seem to like go hand in hand. Yeah. And like caring about the Earth is like a when you learn that on Earth Day in school, it's like you're supposed to care about the Earth. I don't necessarily know if I ever came across the word, and I don't think I came across the word environmentalism probably until I was in high school, and I, th- and I remember like in high school I knew that I wanted to change the world like I wanted to be an activist I wanted to be an organizer and that kind of stuff and for me a lot of the work that I ended up doing in high school I thought was going to be channeled through environmentalism and so like I started off probably doing a lot of like my uh, organizing origin story is a lot of it is around 
doing like voter registration Mm -hmm. and doing like the very um uh, i wouldn't call it neoliberal but like a very uh democratic sense of attaining Mm. um uh, empowerment or um like civic engagement stuff yeah and and so that was like a lot of the stuff that i was initially doing um or organizing around and i remember there was um there was someone that i had a crush on and she was i found out that she was in this club in this club at my high school called um what was it called it's like a group in in seattle and they do what is it called i earth core or maybe it's not or is it go green no, it's not Go Green. It's okay. like, because Go Green, I think, is even cooler than Earth. It is. I, I okay, Earth I see. It might saying. be like a national thing. Maybe, yeah. Have it sounds familiar. It? it sounds really familiar. They do like a bunch of restoration projects uh, yeah. in different places. Or I don't know if it's just outside of Seattle. It might be just Seattle, but in mm-hmm. Seattle, they um, do a lot of restoration events where you like, you know, get rid of invasive blackberries. Yeah, in the park or something like that. But they also, so they had a chapter. Well, I don't know if it's an app. There was a club at my high school, Earthcore Club, and she was a member. She, I knew, she, or she, I think she was like a secretary. Like she was like high up in that. Like club. in the board. Yeah, or something yeah. like. I mean, I don't know. It's like high school. Yeah. So who knows what she's actually doing? But I, <laughs> I remember, like, I remember hearing that and being like, okay, well, like, I like activism. So, like, I knew, like, I like activism stuff. So, so, like, let me go to this club and see what's up. And um, the thing, one of the things that they were doing were um, they were sorting compost like cafeteria compost Mm -hmm. because at the time compost had just become i think uh had passed as um a city municipal municipal thing in seattle so my high school was like okay we're gonna compost because now it's being supported by the city so and because it was like the initial years of it like people didn't know how to compost and you know it's a cafeteria there's like so much waste being produced that Mm -hmm. um just it's inevitably going to be you know someone's going to need to sort it and so i mean i cannot imagine that even the ca- the cans here on campus but mm-hmm. um so so the, one of the things that the club did was uh sort through trash like the members of the club sort through trash like cafeteria trash and fit like the fifth period which is right after lunch to um you know put stuff that was compostable in the compost and like garbage in the landfill that kind of stuff and um I know that she did it once a week, and so I figured out which day of the week she did it. So, so I basically joined this club that was like this environment. Sorry, long story short, it was an environmental club. I joined it and was like, oh, so that's what environmentalism is, and agreed to um, sort through trash. And actually, what I mean, I've never told her this. We had actually ended up dating and stuff, so it was very successful for me. But, uh, I, I never have told her this, but actually that was like the first time I learned like how to compost. Mm-hmm. And I remember like one of the first times I had done it, with her um i was like so confused and i didn't want to ask and that was like before they even made signs you know like like i think there was like a little bit of signage because it was um you know that they would post by the garbages or whatever but like i didn't want to like stand there and spend time looking at it so i just had to like watch i remember just like watching her of like which things that does she put in i was like okay banana peel compost you know like but the plastic has to go in the land you know and that was like such a such a um eye-opening time for me because I just I was like what is this like for me it felt like there was like this whole world that I just like never knew about because I was like where do people actually learn about composting before mm-hmm. before composting was a thing that we know now yeah. where did people actually learn about I guess that? for me I just have such a different experience with that because like my family in Mexico is like country like we mm-hmm. like did not grow up in the beach which is like uh-huh. a lot of people in Mexico is I guess cool. okay, cool. yeah like, it's not like that we didn't grow up in a city either it was like pretty rural kind of town mm-hmm. 
-hmm. like, you know, family being agriculture workers and stuff like that. So, like, we, my dad had a lot of things in the backyard. Like, he had, until this day, he has, like, a huge, like, lime tree. And we had, like, papaya, like, lots of different chiles. Like, um, we had banana we still have banana trees coconut trees like mango trees like everything you can think of right and so i just remember that's like an operation yeah and it's cool because like there's some things that i mean like any other fruit and crop like there's some things that will grow in some seasons so in some season we'll have a lot of mangoes and bananas and then that will be done for the year and then we'll have another fruit instead and so it's funny because I've been to Mexico in the summertime and I'll have one kind of fruit. And then if mm-hmm. I go in this December, like I did this past year, there wasn't really like mangoes available, but there was a lot more of like there's other fruits like mandarins were a big one during that time. And mm-hmm. we had avocados more. But yeah, I just remember him always being like, OK, like don't throw away the scraps in the garbage. Like give them to me and we're going to put them in the backyard like with all this stuff. So it's weird to me to think that like, you know, for, it makes sense. Your story that you're saying like this was the first time I knew about compost. But for me, I guess I didn't know that that was what it was called because my dad would use Mm. other terms for it um but yeah I just remember like for me that was super normal when people here in the U.S. started talking about it I was like well yeah like I've always thrown my like peels of fruit onto the dirt Mm -hmm. like that just was it's not you wouldn't even name it anything yeah like my dad process you described just makes so much sense yeah and at the time we had a dog so like the bones would go to the dog and like the you know peels and this and that would go to the tree and then the only thing that we wouldn't throw outside would be like plastic and whatnot and my dad would just like kind of sort that out as well Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just weird when you have like a like, I don't, I don't think people realize that I had that upbringing. So, like, for me... But then also, like, the ways that we um, experience the compost here, like, in Bellingham, for mm-hmm. example, is, like, and just in general in the U.S. where we are so entrenched in, like, industries of plastic and waste and shit is, like, the compost that we perform, like, that's why that we perform compost. But, like, your dad, like, you wouldn't even name it anything because that is just so... That makes just so much sense that that's what you would do with the stuff that you have like you're not eating your banana time to toss that peel outside or whatever but here it's like oh there's pesticides and blah 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 because yeah. no, then then you like i you know i did that once when i was on a hike through my orange peel and so i was like you have to pick that up like that's gonna like um in- impact the wildlife here you know you know like you know there's just like so the it, i almost think of it as like late capitalism but instead of capitalism well yes capitalism but also like late like uh like, our just planet is in such a disarray that, like, like for some reason it is so fragile that we have to, like, perform this, this, like... Uh, Almost, like, artificial Yeah, yeah, kind right? Of, yeah, yeah. Like, I guess it's not in any way, like, really, like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, we had to create these systems of, like... like even these, like, trash cans, these, like, special trash yeah. cans that we've created. It's, like, what? Like, what isn't we just degrading trash? And the fact that we have, you know, the special trash cans for, like, like nuclear type of waste kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Like, 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 you know, like, I... I like for batteries and mm-hmm. like other stuff that has like very specific Sometimes chemicals. My batteries in the garbage. Oh my god! Yes. Okay. Like I don't know. Is there like a battery police out there? <laughs> like don't come for us because I also sometimes don't throw my batteries where they're supposed to go. But again, because I don't think it's super accessible. Like I don't mm-hmm. have multiple trash cans in my house. Like mm-hmm. I just have right, a recycling right. bin that a recycling bin that like my roommate kind of made, and then like mm-hmm. our actual like. And we tried to compost one too, but at the beginning of the school year, but it was really hard also to like because yeah. our like apartments didn't have somewhere to dump the like right. compost our bag. Our doesn't let us, but I mean, I feel mm. like I probably could like go against. It's like written in our lease that she doesn't want us to compost or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but you know, for her like 
I think her reasoning is that she doesn't want like critters to be around at her house. But yeah. it's like, okay, then why are we here? Why are we on this land? You know, then it brings up the, those greater questions. Like, okay, then why are we on this land? You know, mm-hmm. if we can't even like put waste and you know, like like waste that should be um, biodegradable. Waste that should like most of our waste should be biodegradable, but it isn't, and that's the reality. Which there's just really a lot of loaded, loaded context that just mm. change what compost is you know yeah so do you feel like when you first encountered this world of like composting and doing these kind of activism do you feel like you then you had the okay did you feel like at that time would you have called yourself an environmentalist or did you still not have that word in your vocabulary i think at that point i was like okay yeah i'm an environmentalist like i like the environment or i care about the environment and at that point too um i was planning to take uh, AP environmental science as my science credit for my senior year and that and you know while I was taking that class um, it was very easy which is why I kind of took it because I was I've always been really bad at math and science throughout high school which is amazing right because I'm like I'm a bio a, a like bio, molecular I'm a bio person now which is also like a part of the reason why I'm not in environmental science is because of this class because this class like I really loved the teach well I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to glorify her. Because she was like this. She was a really well-intentioned white lady. You know, she drove a Prius and probably walked to school because she was gentrifying the Central District with her white family. You know, like that kind of stuff. And she really believed in students' uh, capacity for change. But I also recognize now, in hindsight, that it was because it was an AP class, it was a predominantly white class. And so she was probably encouraging us to all do stuff because she, she was. it was a predominantly... Uh, white class and she was expecting us not expecting necessarily but you know encouraging us and believed in us as change makers um, because it was a predominantly white class like I'm certain that if it was a regular class or even an honors class where there was more students of color and especially students of color with really different backgrounds than the, than the class itself then she would not have been approaching environmentalism with the same lens, you know? And I think I came out of that class feeling like a lot of the field was for white white students who are very privileged, you know? Having, even just, like, the thinking of the idea of, like, driving a Prius and that kind of stuff, you know? It was, like, so... And it just... I think a lot of it, too, is, like, the ways that we talked about solutions was really through a white liberal... Like, capitalism. capitalism Like, buy this, buy that, don't buy this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, like, write a... Like, I remember for my final project, I wrote a letter to the city of Seattle to encourage them to rent goats to use as a... As a weeding, as a weeding thing, you know, that's like a thing. Well, now it's a thing Oh, like, to have them eat the weeds, yes. In places where they're gonna probably construct, like big giant 20 story apartments and shit like you know aiding in gentrification but at that time I had no idea that that wasn't really you know like writing a letter to the city of Seattle it wasn't gonna go anywhere and it didn't I never got a response but that was like something she was like good job you know like that was a great action you took you know like I think about in hindsight now and I was like what did it really actually accomplish except to give me a pat on the back so in a lot of ways i feel like that's also how i learned environmentalism was it felt like a very self-congratulatory like individualistic Mm -hmm. action based Mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting what you mentioned that this is so does this mean you grew up in the central district like is that where your high school is and everything my high school is in the central district but my parents lived in beacon hill which is in south seattle Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because I feel like that would be now as a planner. I think about this a lot. That like, whenever we have conversations about the environment, we never talk about like the urban environment and how、mm. that plays into it. So it'd be interesting if like that class had talked about like, you know, what's going on in the city and like, if is there enough green spaces and like、mm. talk about more environmental, like local environmental issues. And then gentrification should be one of those,、right. you know. But mean, obviously, yeah. And like, obviously, you're not gonna talk about that because that would mean she would have to, to identify it, as a gentrifier. True, and you know, if since it's a predominantly white class, and all the other students would, or most of the other students would have to rectify that wrong. But that would have been a great project for Miss Finley. <laughs> be like, okay, like how do we combat gentrification? Because that,、yeah. like, you're right. That totally is an environmental issue, but. It's always, you know, it's always also from this biological sense too. There's a lot of it doesn't get、um, placed into social. We, exactly, that's what I was gonna say. We forget the human part of、mm-hmm. environmentalism, and like when you were talking about your parents at the beginning about sustainability for them meant very like self-sustained.、Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, that makes sense. You humans should be sustainable too, but we often just talk about it as in like the ecology, the、mm-hmm. environment should be sustainable,、mm-hmm. and like I just think. In that class that you had, like it'd be interesting if it was more place based, because yes, environmental issues are global issues, but I think we would probably do a lot more, in like a lot more constructive work if we focus really locally and thought about like, okay, where am I placed right now? Okay, I'm、mm-hmm. in a city, I'm in Seattle. What does that mean? Like, what are our impacts here? What are we impacting by just being here? But of course, like these educators stay being basic and not critical、yeah. at all. Well, you know, it, like I would definitely think that my education would have been so radicalized if she had just introduced that lens of localness. Because the problem I think sometimes too, when we, in, just in general, I mean, maybe this isn't localized to just high school, but I think that the U.S. has this like tendency to.、Um, Philanthropy, you know everything about philanthropy that's like abroad. Like、mm-hmm. you know, we're gonna talk about yeah, environmentalism as a hurricane hitting like somewhere in the global south or something like that. Not a hurricane, but what a, a tsunami. Sorry, a tsunami hitting like destroying the global south. Like that's the case study we're gonna look at, as opposed to something happening within our neighborhoods that we can tangibly see and dissect. And you know, now that I think about it, it none of it really was social. Like it was very much. Doing science experiments, like growing things, and you know, I just always just smoked weed during. The- <laughs> like I would just go to the greenhouse and then get go to the greenhouse for a couple for like the two hours or whatever it was, but just skip school for two hours and smoke pot and then come back and like ah. <laughs> so I didn't really learn any. I didn't learn anything at all.、Mm-hmm. And I am, and I remember by the end of it, she was encouraging all the students to take the、um, AP exam. And I mean, this was just my very—I、uh, was very、uh, stupid. I'm not stupid. I was very stubborn in high school, and that、um, I was like, I'm not going to take the AP exam because I didn't learn anything, and I'm going to want to learn like environmental science when I go to college. Like, I want to learn real environmental science when I go to college. So I never took the AP exam, and then I don't even think I've really ever taken environmental <laughs> science class in college. Yeah, which really sucks. But so with the Bellingham culture here, just like I guess I'll give context if people listen if they're not from Bellingham. So like Bellingham, you know, puts itself out there as like super sustainable environmentalist because like for example on school, yeah, we have a co-op. For example, at school we don't sell like plastic water bottles, even though we sell other plastic items. Oh, true. You know, and like little、Did、things like that. Did they say that? that? Did they say we don't sell plastic water bottles? Yeah, that's what they say. Because the only form that you can buy, it, but it's so dumb because the only form that you can buy water. 
then is like through the Voss like glass these mm. the glass like oh containers yeah. or you can ask for a cup though from the like the Starbucks or the coffee and places they charge you yeah you ask for a cup with wa- ice water so you still I think that is free but still like that's plastic I think it's compostable plastic I don't know the thing is they make a big deal out of that right mm-hmm. and they say that we're really like this would be the place where you would be get to be an environmentalist if yeah. anything everyone so drives you, Priuses yeah like seriously bikes Prius, everywhere bikes everywhere right it's supposed to be a super bike friendly city I've definitely got flipped off on my bike like like I feel um really I, I feel pretty unsafe being a, someone who's a person of color biking around in Bellingham. So it doesn't necessarily a bike-friendly place. Yeah. For who is it bike-friendly? Yes, exactly. And and mountain biking, too. It's always like, oh, it's for mountain biking. You know? It's like, well, are you actually, like, biking through neighborhoods and shit and getting honked at and flipped off by white, angry men in their Priuses? So do you feel like with that context here in Bellingham and then when you moved... Well, I guess you didn't move to Bellingham, right? Your freshman year because you Mm -mm. transferred. But Mm -hmm. regardless, when you moved to Bellingham, do you feel like, oh, maybe this is the chance that I'll kind of get into Mm -hmm. environmentalism? or were you still kind of like eh like I had that really bad experience in high school I remember it was because of Huxley that I was like oh Huxley's supposed to be a really great college and and it is in a lot of ways it really is so that's why I had um I transferred technically through I think Fairhaven and then I met with my Fairhaven advisor and was like actually no (laughs) I'm not about Fairhaven and then I transferred into Huxley and so I was a Huxley pre-major for like up until two months ago, I was still a Huxley pre major. But anyways, long story short, I met with a Huxley um, advisor, and I ended up taking some of the classes that would be the prereq for me. So I took one distinguishing class for me was I took um, micro introduction to microeconomics. It's like a it's the two hundred six. Two hundred six. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and I really hated it me too. and i think what's interesting about it economics and environmentalism is that they're both these like quantitative ways or ways to quantify social like social suffering almost or social experiences and so i was like really i was like oh my god like is this what environmentalism environmental science is going to be like and as that first quarter as i was taking these classes i also feel like i met a lot of east side that to me was one of the like most uh, I, can, I guess I have to say one, like uh, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah, I'm like, why can't I think of a word? But yeah, just like very negative experience and deterrent and um, deterring me from being an environmental environmental science person because you know in Bellingham, especially at Western too, like in tandem with each other, there's so much self congratulatory whiteness that goes on like like we can just name it as something that is very racialized and gendered and all of these things of like who who is like who's an activist who's an activist and who isn't you know like and i don't necessarily know if environmental science people like any of them consider themselves activists but it's like the whole idea of like science with an agenda yeah like, you're saving I'm, the planet mm-hmm. you're yeah, like making you care it yeah. you know you're gonna like like toxic like yeah, i'm gonna re- you know remediate all of these toxins from this low-income mm-hmm. community you know or some something very like that. saviorist very saviorist yeah. yeah and i think it's hard like because going back to like your example from the high school class and this still happens here you know 
in Huxley, like the College of the Environment here, like it's still such a small percentage of students of color. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like how am I supposed to call myself an environmentalist if like literally no one that I see in my classes that mm-hmm. are supposed to be environmentalist classes like reflect my identity. Like I remember even the way that I dress felt very made me feel yes. very ostracized because the, we the, know yes. that's definitely part of the culture here at Bellingham, mm-hmm. right? Like people have to be wearing Patagonia and like and all these chakras. different Yeah, mm-hmm. and like all these very like quote unquote sustainable like clothing. And I'm out here with, like, my big hoops, sometimes really bright lipstick, feeling so brown and, like, not fitting that. And I usually tend to dress very, like, feminine, like, more, like, you know, kind of height maintenance, I guess people would say. So Mm -hmm. I just felt so, like, off from what Mm -hmm. it, like, I don't know if you still feel this way about Bellingham. But, I mean, you kind of said it with the biking thing, like. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I hear you on that, like, just even, like, the cultural clothing thing, like, what it's so obvious what people buy into with their money when you walk through a place like Huxley. It's amazing how you can just um, classify people's decisions and lifestyle choices just by the... Because it's like, some people are out here looking like they're trying to hike up three mountains (laughs) just for their school day. Like, I get that campus is like, sometimes like a hike, like it's really inaccessible and really hilly. But it's like, you do not need to be wearing all of that gear for your the backpacks. The backpacks, yeah. Some the people backpacks. have like two hundred dollar backpacks, and again, it's like okay, that might be that might have been made in the U.S., which is also another part of environmentalism that I hate because it's super capitalistic and also usually very uh, orientalist of being like, oh, shit, made in China is bad. Mm. So it's like I bought my three hundred dollar backpack that was made in the U.S. It's like. You're just carrying, like, a computer. <laughs> like, you know, like, why do you need something super, super expensive and super, super nice for your, like, you know, seven-hour day on campus or however long it is, you know? So I definitely feel, like, confronting that. Because for me, like, you know, it's not only just, like, a cultural thing. It's, like, an economic thing. I'm, like, I don't want to buy into that. And I don't want to be an environmentalism or environmentalist if it means buying into... Like that performance, because it is super performative. And it's like, how do pe- I have no idea how people reckon with their personal choices and doing, you know, like th- that's where it just gets really messy. And I was like, fuck that. I don't want right. to, I don't want to dive into that work. You and know? I think with like environmentalist folks that like identify that way here, especially white people, I feel like with them, what I struggle with as being someone that has a foot in that space, but also Mm -hmm. foot in some of the other spaces on campus that are the Ethnic Student Center, Mm -hmm. like Students for Ethnic Studies, you know, like all these other quote-unquote activist spaces. I'm just like, I never see you both there. Like Mm -hmm. I like at the environmentalist on campus, I'm just like, where were you when we were doing the protests for like a bigger Ethnic Student Center? Where Mm -hmm. were you when we did like the sit-ins for these other things? You know, like Mm -hmm. if you're not seeing these things tied inherently, then like there's something. what are you doing? You know, like what are we talking about? There's a lot of people that call themselves environmentalists in this town and this university that I'm like, you don't show up for some things. Mm -hmm. And that really shows how narrow and not intersectional like your activism is at all. But something I think about too is, you know, why they call call themselves environmentalists is because they don't have other identities that they have stake in. Nothing yeah. else is at risk for them except for the planet, you know? And yeah, it's important to acknowledge that the planet is dying, but it's also so important to acknowledge the ways that the systems that white folks are complicit in are contributing to that planet dying, but they have no other, you know, they don't have anything else to worry about if you think about it. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah that is <laughs> super powerful. You'll think about it. <laughs> I mean, think, think about the people that, you know, identify as environmentalists who are white, they 
don't necessarily have anything else at stake or they're not aware of other things in their lives that are at stake you yeah. know because i argue that like whiteness is at stake when you when you know when we do um anti-blackness work you know like like there are so many actual things that are at stake but that, that for them their only understanding that's at stake because they're living in such a privileged bubble is the uh-huh. is and going the back to when we were talking about our parents and like the survival tactics is like yeah like you like don't really have to do this for survival it's like almost like mm. you can perform environmentalism as a hobby yeah. whereas like me yeah. showing up for I'm environmental justice <laughs> yeah like yeah it's like oh i'm a hobby like another thing to add mm-hmm. to like the resume yeah, <laughs> like i climb I, yeah I'm <laughs> yeah i celebrate earth day whatever yeah. you know whereas like for us like as students of color especially on this campus like doing activism is not a hobby these days mm-hmm. like it's a job it's a job that i'm not getting paid for whereas mm-hmm. like you're like earth day thingy that you're doing like it's it's just a hobby dude like yeah. a lot of it is because nothing yeah. is really at stake until you bring in race and gender and all these other things mm-hmm. and and i think of i had this con- uh a uh, little facebook debate which i know is bad i know <laughs> facebook debates are unsustainable but sometimes i participate in them more when i was you're younger. human it's yeah okay. exactly you know this just gets me sometimes but there was a kid who didn't take uh th- he wasn't in my class in my environmental my ap environmental science class but he was in another section of it or whatever and we'd got he was this kid from high school and we'd gotten into an argument on facebook because it was about i don't know if you remember when um these three Black Lives Matter uh, leaders in Seattle um, shut down the Bernie Sanders rally. Yes, like, I feel yeah, like I do was, remember like, when this. Bernie was running, and they just like were like, "Fuck this!" Like we, you know, pass us the mic kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I had posted an article about it, and he's like, "Oh, that was absurd!" Blah blah blah. His whole rationale was that, um, you know, why would Black Lives Matter? Why does Black Lives Matter? Black Lives Matter is incomparable to Bernie's um, environmental reform stuff. Like, like that um, Bernie's trying to save the planet, not just, like, black people, you know? That was, like, his uh, whole... Re- Does that make really? sense? Kind of, like, yeah. Being, like, why, like, he was like, I, for me, I'm prioritizing Bernie's mm-hmm. environmentalism over... His politics about, mm-hmm. like, black mm-hmm. folks. Okay. Exa- exactly, exactly. And I was just like, okay, for you, that is an abstraction because you've just learned about environmentalism through school. The planet dying is in theory right now. Like, yes, the planet is dying right now. That is correct. But all of us dying... Is, unless you are a black person but he's a white dude like a white cis straight dude is in theory like your death is in theory but there are black folks right now who are dying every day and that is not a theory so why would you ever come like why would you make that comparison yeah i think it's the same thing when like folks are really like vocal about like um like animal rights yes. and like stuff like that and yeah. i'm just like in the beats and i'm like girl that's just not where people should put their energy yeah. in at the end of the day like okay so like i was vegan for two years okay and uh i feel like a lot of the ways that vegan culture is constructed on is like okay um we really love animals and like we want to we're here for animal liberation like you know angela davis i think said like there is no liberation until like there's like pig liber i don't know something like that yeah. like about like liberating the pigs or some shit yes. and like i remember that was inspiring to me and that's why i became vegan but also like those things being vegan does not stand in a vacuum you know like like you're like a fixation on animals is not does not exist i mean it's it's like uh you know if you think about it ecosystems and stuff it just doesn't exist in a vacuum and for people to portray people's eating choices quote-unquote choices Mm -hmm. as like something that 
um, is worth negotiating for people, it's like that assumes so much about a person's identity. Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, it's just like people, it's just they don't have anything at risk besides that. Mm-hmm. So they really can devote so much of their time. Like their community, as in like their white community, is mm-hmm. relatively safe. So they yeah. really don't have to worry about that. Whereas like for me, I'm going to worry about the brown and black people that are in the farm, like working this, and then also worry about the animals. Like it's yeah. two completely yeah. different things you have to balance. Yeah. And I mean, I guess not completely different because they're connected, but still two very major things. And mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, when like, yeah, it's just, it's a lot more messy than people think. And so they, they just give energy to like other parts and yeah. very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like, is there any term that you like to use or do you feel like at this point you don't care for a label of it? You just yeah, like, I don't I'm really just down care. for the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think what's really cool is like, um, I for me, like it's just having the conversations with people like, you know, we, we're talking back and forth and you, you probably wouldn't have needed to t- tell me that you're a Huxley student for me to know that you care about how spaces work and how land is used and all these other things, you know, and I feel like it's just... It just gets messy, too, when you start to try to identify um, and to identify yourself in a movement that really, how do I want to say this? I don't know. I, it's, just, it's just messy to hold on to certain identities like that, like the environmentalist one, or to try to, mostly because I just don't want white people to flock to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those things that's like, ah, uh, but, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I feel, I feel like it's the same with other terms, like with feminism, if you don't like some people will really, some, like, specifically women will really come at you and be like, why don't you, like, label yourself this? And it's like, it is none of your business. Right. Well, and I still like, stand with you. Yeah. Like, and, or just, it's like, if we just have a conversation, you'll know that I'm for, um, not even the, what, what is it, like, I, I can't remember, someone had described it to me as, like, feminism being, like, you know, women being equal to men. It's like, it's not even that anymore. Like, it's really just, not, it's like ending, it, feminism is more about, like, ending these like huge these structures. Yeah, these yeah. structures. Thank you, thank you. And it's like, uh, if you're not thinking about those things, like, I just don't want to talk to you. So that's why I don't mm-hmm. trust if someone calls them. Yeah, and I feel like that's at the point where I'm at with environmentalism, actually, mm-hmm. where I'm just, like, before I feel like I could, like, you know, Put say, yeah, <laughs> or I could just be, like, okay, I'm just going to sit through you talking to me about, like, recycling or whatever you want, you yeah. know. But I feel like at this point, if people start going on that chant and I just, like, can't really, like, I don't see anywhere in your part, in your conversation, going towards, like, environmental justice and like really mm-hmm. thinking about the intersections of race gender and ability and all these things and like i'm just like okay another mainstream environmentalist yeah. like bye Wait, like, and I, like what what mainstream environmentalism has really done anything yeah and know? so i just have it yeah i remember this one girl they were from here from western and they were really about like zero waste i don't know if you ever oh, like yeah, saw I that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and you know like i never heard their like spiel about it like i just randomly would hear sometimes them talk about like zero waste zero waste and I was just mm-hmm. like, unless I really hear you explicitly talk about how, like, this is super inaccessible to some folks, especially people of color, mm-hmm. like, people that live in, like, food deserts, like, all these different things, you know, then, like, I don't want to hear it. It's not food waste or, yeah. or zero waste or whatever. Yeah. Also, I feel like zero waste people are sometimes the people who are uh, most likely to own, like, 50 Patagonia, you know, like, <laughs> hella of the same thing because they, like, because... Because they're like, oh, I don't, I want to invest in something that I won't just throw away. And it's like, well, you just like have a lot of stuff now, you know? And also this is like a whole another conversation. I, I think I want to try to find someone to talk with this about specifically, but, but you I'm thinking to milk about it. Cause she does zero waste stuff. Yeah, I should. And and maybe- right. That's like the part of the, like, also, I think, uh, maybe my apprehension with environmentalism as weird too, is like when we think of the methods and tactics of mainstream environmentalism, it is so 
specific you know it's so specific to people with money to white people to Mm -hmm. able-bodied people to so many people with privileges that I think I think it's just much easier to just disidentify from that word and come up with my own you know like or like our like our own like looking back to my community like our own versions of protecting the environment you know Mm -hmm. and then I also think of like how people like frame it as like being stewards of the land yeah and it's like you should be like if you are someone who's a settler uh part of the settler colonial structure and and you're you know you're non-indigenous then you shouldn't be like protecting the land you should be like fighting against uh, these systems that make it so that because like we like none of i personally have no knowledge or ability to actually protect the land you know what i mean Especially this land that we're, like, visitors yes, in. Exactly. Like, I don't... Exactly. So that's why it just amazes me when people use that language even. That's like, well, actually, I want to protect the planet. And it's like, no, you should be fighting the thing that is that is killing fighting the people. It. Yeah, killing the people who are the actual protectors of this land. Support them. Yeah, yeah them, make sure that doesn't happen. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen so many stories, especially in, like, the global south of just people mm-hmm. disappearing, yeah. you know, days before the pipeline started and things like that. And here, too, you know, with we saw it with, like, the Dakota Access Pipeline and all that. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's just, like, make sure you're... What are you doing so those people mm-hmm. continue living and protecting the earth? Do you feel like there is a trend in, like... Maybe not trend is a good word, but I, I've i just been curious and, like, maybe feeling like I've been observing this, um, this movement of... I wouldn't even say claiming, but, like, considering indigenous people and environmentalism. And especially here at Western and at Huxley of being like, well, we should, you know, talk to Coast Salish mm, people. Like, tokenizing. Token, yes, yeah, token. It's like, why, what, like, is, I don't know if it, maybe there was, like, some sort of, like, people, like, mainstream people in the environmentalism uh, curriculum even that were like, oh, we should probably consider indigenous people. And then that's, like... Or maybe that's always been in the history of environmentalism. I don't know. I feel like just context of, like, Western Mm -hmm. and Bellingham, I feel like in my time of being in their College of the Environment, like, these past four years, I definitely, it has been, like, students of color, Native students mostly, Mm -hmm. pushing for that and calling, like, the curriculum out and being like, yo, we're not talking about, like, Indigenous people at all. And I think that's made educators want to, like, bring Mm -hmm. it up. But it's a, either they bring it up in a very tokenizing way, like the way you're saying, where it's like, maybe we should like hear one native story mm-hmm. and then like, or like, it's like, what well, you know, um, is it Audrey Lure that talks about that where she's like, when you have the table of like, and you invite uh, me yes. and stuff. To the table. tools? Yeah, I think so. But when she's talking about like, oh, if we have the table, I think she was talking specifically about feminism, but I think it applies to a lot of things. Like mm-hmm. you have this table, right, of like feminists and she's and like usually white women and they invite you to the table. It's like that doesn't really mean anything because you're already assuming that the table was yours to begin with. Mm. And so the same thing I think is happening here where it's like when you say let's invite indigenous people to be part of environmentalist conversations it's like like what you were saying it's like no they've been here before yeah. why are you like why do you need to invite them like yeah. they shouldn't be inviting you yes like, true like you're the visitor at the table you're Very the visitor true. at the conversation you know like that you should be so instead true. of asking, that language even the invitation thing yeah like I love that's that. the language that she used I can't remember the exact quote but it's like around that framework of like who invites who and it's mm-hmm. like girl like you yeah like just people that like here in Huxley and like just predominantly white spaces right that are saying let's invite indigenous people to talk about this it's like they like, don't need your invitation they've been yeah. talking about this you just are now deciding to listen mm-hmm. you know because we're like at a really crucial point with our planet mm-hmm. so yeah I agree I think I've been feeling I feel that 
I see that trend a lot. And I've been thinking about it in my own work <laughs> of like, how do I not tokenize indigenous mm. knowledge? Because for me, it's a little bit tricky in the sense that as being like Mexican, I know and I like I feel that I have indi- like okay, I know that I have indigenous roots and mm-hmm. it's been a process to like trace that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, those roots aren't here. So mm-hmm. I am a visitor, you know, mm-hmm. even if I want to call myself native. So it's just a tricky like conversation there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even then I'm like, I don't get to like just assume that I know what's best here and like tokenize indigenous people here. So. Mm-hmm. There's this really awesome podcast that I just started listening to called All My Relations. Yes, you, I've okay. been listening it's to it. It's good. It's so, so good. good. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I feel like so blessed that there are so many amazing people and people of color who, and black people, indigenous people, like people with very specific identities that, you know, here in Bellingham, we are so fragmented and we just you know live in this place that feels so isolated so just so amazing that we get to just listen to a podcast and really feel like tapped into things maybe not tapped into things but i really feel like healed as i'm like listening to this podcast you know and it's amazing to have that as a resource via my phone no yeah folks haven't listened to it all my relations is really good i know one of the like host is like from this area yeah i think they're i Tulela. couldn't tell if they're both based in seattle or at one point we're based in seattle i think like so mm-hmm. but i think that's a good way to end it cool just yeah. listen to more podcasts yeah. by poc including this one um mm-hmm. thank you so much Nina, for this yeah. conversation i loved hearing awesome. everything i'm so excited um yeah if you want to listen more um we have our website at nuestrasraicesverdes.com on SoundCloud as well with the same handle and on Instagram, Nuestras Raices Verdes. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as people of color, indigenous people. Thank you.